Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The U.S. Market Update with Money FM 89.3. Welcome to the U.S. Markets Wrap. I'm Sean Cheong and we are seeing some red on Wall Street overnight. The S&P 500 declined by about 0.8%, closing at 4,347 points. And that has ended in a day winning streak as a sharp jump in yields have rattled investors. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq Composite was down about 0.9% to settle at 13,521 points. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average also down by about 0.65% to close at 33,891 points. So overnight, stocks had hit their session lows after Federal Chair Jerome Powell indicated more work may be needed to bring down inflation. Although the recent slowdown in pace has been an encouraging sign for policymakers. So for more insights, we'll be joined today by Yusuf Gurani, the Director of Investments and Operations at IHT Wealth Management. Good morning, Yusuf. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, so first off, um, the U.S. Treasury yields ticked higher after Fed Chair Jerome Powell turned a little bit more hawkish in his latest comments on interest rate policy and the economy. Is the Fed done with rate hikes and what does it mean for investors in the coming days? We think the Fed is probably done, but uh, obviously everything's going to be data dependent. But um, candidly, one more 25 basis point rate hike won't change the outlook very much, right? If they do have to hike again. So, but nonetheless, we think that they're done. What I think is way more important is that Mr. Powell has to talk tough. That's his job right now. He has to be hawkish, even if they're not going to raise rates, because Mm -hmm. if people start preempting a move downwards, that makes the rate hikes less effective. So he has to stay hawkish, even if they're going to stay level. That's his job right now. In that case, what would a normal curve look like if the Fed is going to move Fed funds down to three in two years, but, you know, and do they want to keep it there? Yeah. If they do want to move, obviously, over time, they want to move Fed funds back down, right? If inflation comes down, they want to move Fed funds back down. But they've committed to higher for longer. And I think mm-hmm. what the markets are trying to grapple with right now is what does a normalized yield curve look like to Fed funds at three? Where does that put the 30-year? Where does that put the 10-year? In a normal curve situation, that means that those, you know, a 30-year around 5%, that seems pretty realistic. A 10-year, you know, somewhere between 4 and 5, that seems pretty realistic. So at the long end of the curve where you're seeing a lot of the, the fixed income volatility right now, there's a lot of people wondering just where exactly does that long end go as, you know, over time, if we do want to move the Fed funds rate down, I think it's probably in about the right spot right now. And, and the opportunities in, in treasuries are actually probably a little bit shorter than that five-year, seven-year, kind of in the belly of the curve. That's where we're seeing opportunity. Right. So if the federal government's budget deficit, uh, which is which grew by roughly $320 billion to $1.7 trillion in the recently completed fiscal year, if we look at that and we, and we look at the U.S. debt spiraling, is a cap on government bond yields the answer? No, no, it's not. It okay. just ends up <laughs> being really simple. It's not the answer. Um, the implicit version of this is, is if they start reissuing QE and they start you know, going back into the markets to buy. But that's candidly not a situation anybody wants to be faced with. This is a situation that Washington needs to sort out. And there are definitely some odd vigilantes in the market now making a lot of noise about it. And with rates up higher, it's going to very quickly become an issue that the politicians have to grapple with. There's just not going to be any choice. We've already seen interest now hitting at more than $1 trillion in terms of an annualized rate. And as that number continues to rise, 
political pressure is going to grow for people to start to rein in some of their spending. It's just unavoidable. And uh, let's also take a look at some uh, of the names that have been moving quite a bit this week, specifically Disney. Their shares jumped about 3% in, uh, you know, after the company reported its quarterly earnings. Uh, it's now above 90 bucks again, thereabouts. And of course, it, that great rise in Disney Plus subscribers. What is fueling this pop? I mean, what's that to feel optimistic about for Disney? We're, we're optimistic on, uh, on people who own significant content. And in the world of content, Disney's content is, is the top. It's the top tier. Their intellectual property is incredible. And so for us, when we want to evaluate a company like that, we're looking out at them over the long term and saying, what's the value of what you own? And then how can you monetize it? The steps to monetize it, the steps to deliver it, to, to provide streaming, um, to provide access globally uh, to, to all of their content, there's going to be hiccups along the way as they try to scale and, and broaden that program. And whether it's a million people and, and new subscribers or three million and new subscribers, mm-hmm. um, we're not super hung up on the quarter-to-quarter move. We're more interested in what's the value of their intellectual property? Can it be replicated? Can somebody else usurp that position? And if not, where can they go in five years, in seven years? What does that company's long-term trajectory look like? And, and so from that perspective, we think anybody trying to take down Disney's position is going to be really, really difficult. They just, they're too good. Uh, you feel optimistic as well if you don't watch the Marvels. <laughs> okay. according, to BN- <laughs> <laughs> according to BNP Paribas, the bond market's in its worst state in 200 years. So in your view, are there any fallen angels presenting perhaps a glimmer of hope or opportunity in that space? I think the opportunities in private credit are significant. I think the opportunities in the bond market to pick up yield and to make almost equity-like returns with reduced volatility are significant. Um, I think about a lot of the companies that, that have been viewed as a dividend source or income source. And I think about, would I rather own that company's equity and potentially, you know, I own it for the income from the dividend, or would I rather own that company's bond? And I think there are a lot of companies in the S&P 500, a lot of people talk about telecoms, for example, for a long time, they've been dividend payers. Would you rather own the equity and have all the volatility or would you rather just own the bond? And I think with bond rates where they're at right now, there's just a lot of income. You can get near equity level returns and the volatility is just going to be a lot lower. So definitely a lot of opportunities in that space. Yeah. And so just looking ahead, we are about midway through November And there's already chatter among investors on whether we might see that Santa Claus rally. So what do you see as the biggest risk as we come closer to Christmas? And of course, looking into 2024. Yeah, so we we have actually taken from our central models, we had some hedges on going out of the end of the summer. Um, We've reduced those a little bit uh, with an eye on a potential end of year rally. Main idea here is earnings are starting to turn up. Those, those numbers are coming in better and better. And um, the economy still looks super resilient. And as long as the economy is resilient and companies are handling, um, you know, their financial exposures, their financial positions, that's something we want to be a part of. You know, we, we think you should have that exposure. To date, I still think the United States is, is probably the best place in the world right now to start to allocate, allocate your capital, at least among the developed markets. So lots of optimism, um, lots of technology exposure that's, that still looks positive, and um, earnings are turning up kind of, kind of in a more broad-based way. That's something that, that we're optimistic about. So, so in that case, what do we need to see 
if the SPX is to break above that 4,400 level? You just need to see a little bit of resumption in confidence, right? Right now, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Everybody always talks about that. We do think there's going to be a lot of issuance, uh, and a lot of the cash is probably going to go towards fixed income markets rather than um, rather than necessarily going into equity markets. But just generally, people have to get more comfortable with the idea that the economy's strong footing can be maintained. And up until now, employment has been awesome, especially prime age employment. People between the ages of 25 and 55, mm-hmm. labor force participation is incredible. And when when you have high labor force participation, you still have job openings. You have people earning money, people spending money. That tends to be a good setup for companies to get comfortable with their financial positions, com- companies to get comfortable perhaps going out and starting to do that CapEx, getting used to a new great environment, um, and just just everybody getting used to it, and then people coming back to the market, first slowly and then quickly. That's usually how it happens. That's what we hope to see happen again. Right, so it's all about sentiment. Yeah, yes. absolutely. It's, it's a big sentiment play, and right now, earnings are providing a, a footing for that. Earnings have been positive, and we think that over time, people are going get, to get more and more comfortable that those positive earnings, that, that slight curl up and more companies reporting above estimates and increasing their forecasts, we think that people start to get comfortable with that as not being a one-off, but it's starting to be the beginning of a new trend, backed by economic growth. Thank you very much. That's very insightful, Yusuf. We've been speaking to Yusuf Grani, the Director of Investments and Operations and IHT Wealth Management, and you have a good day ahead, sir. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And I'm Sean Chung, and this is Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.